We are going to start the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Before that, today we will have a, a very short introduction. Now, it's a book. It's a book which covers almost all the facets of Hinduism. You will find Sri Ramakrishna's spiritual journey was all inclusive. He, for the span of 12 years, he did intense spiritual practice to make himself the laboratory of all the spiritual traditions in which the spiritual traditions were enlivened in his personality. And it's not that he just endeavored through his intense spiritual practice, through his utter sincerity, intense sincerity with his faith that the, all the paths is going to lead to the same goal. With that sincerity, he practiced all the religions in the span of 12 years, including Islam and Christianity. We find that even beyond the bounds of Hinduism, he practiced and went to the realization that the, all the faiths are the paths to the spiritual illumination. So we find that all the facets of Hinduism has been described in some way or other in a very simple way in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. It's a treasure, it's a treasure of spiritual knowledge and which is accessible to all. It's not very scholarly. You don't need any academic background. Anyone, a scholarly person or a person who is uh, just have the literacy to read it, you find that this book is very interesting. It's a scripture which is very interesting because it has been expounded in the most simple language, in the most comprehensible way, which can be comprehended by one and all. It's a voluminous collection. We will find that it has already about uh, a century and about 125 years have passed. And we are finding that the uh, what you say, the need for the gospel, it's uh, a way to, the, the gospel, the way we can relate to the gospel in our day-to-day -day life, in the present contemporary world, we are finding, it's finding more and more implications we are finding in it. 
So that's the beauty of the gospel. We can relate to it with our modern uh, world, in our present day of living. The gospel becomes a very uh, easily uh, available fund of knowledge by which we can synthesize our so-called secular life with the spiritual life. Ramakrishna has given ample examples, ample way of demonstrating that, that we need not have to just leave our hearth and home and think of exclusive spiritual practice. It's a matter of attitudinal correction. And with that, we can synthesize the secular and the spiritual aspects of our existence. Actually, he never spoke of synthesizing. According to him, there is nothing which is secular. Everything is spiritual. If the world is a projection of the divine, then everything has to be related from that spiritual perspective. That's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna uh, has uh, very significantly uh, demonstrated through his life and teachings. That was something unique in his life. He used to speak of the state of Vijnana. That Jnana, what is the Jnana, what is the knowledge? through your spiritual practice, which may culminate in the realization, at last you may get established in that Advaitic knowledge that the conscious principle alone is real. The world is illusory. It speaks of retreat as if away from the world. Sri Ramakrishna speaks of another state. This is the contribution of Ramakrishna. It's not that it was not in the scriptures, it was there. He proclaimed it, he highlighted it and proclaimed it so that in the present age, when almost for us, the choice of leading an exclusive spiritual life is no more there. It's not that it is not something which is not advisable. If we can lead an exclusive spiritual life, nothing like it. But in the present age, you will find that it is almost impossible. The way of life is such. So does it mean that spirituality cannot be practiced? No, it can be practiced. You can come down from that state of spiritual realization and see the world not as the world, but as the projection of the divine. And your interaction with the world becomes a spiritual endeavor. So this is something, the state of Vijnana, which Sri Ramakrishna speaks of. So that's the thing which we find when we are reading the gospel. That's the idea which is permeating the entire gospel from page to page. So Ramakrishna's, this 12 years of intense spiritual practice, with that he led to that, went to that realization, these two realizations. These are two basic realizations that as many faiths, so many paths. And the other from the state of Vijnani, he's relating that Shiva Jnane, Jiva Sheva. That if the Lord is permeating the entire universe, don't see the world as the world. See the world as the Lord and relate to the world as if you're relating with the divine. And each and every activity gets sublimed, gets transformed into your spiritual practice. So this is the basic tenet in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. We will find very nicely uh, the Mahatma Gandhi 
in a very few words has spoke of ramakrishna which is extremely relevant what he is speaking the story of ramakrishna paramahansa's life is a story of religion in practice it's a very important word before the advent of ramakrishna we will find throughout india religion like any other place became a matter of doctrine and dogma various faiths were fighting with each other to prove intellectually that their way of approach to the religion their way of thinking of the absolute reality is the only true way the others are false and unnecessary fight was the waste of energy without taking us to any as such conclusive uh, way of life it speaks what it speaks of that there was no practice it was just a matter of discussion as we find that sri ramakrishna will again and again say in the gospel what that if you are in a mango orchard your main aim should be to taste the mango you shouldn't be there just to count the leaves the branches the number of trees all those academic uh your education or academic uh, knowledge is of no avail you have came to the this mango orchard to taste the mango this is something which we can elaborate that suppose someone have tasted the mango and comes and relates the taste of mango to a group of people who have never tasted the mango he says that the mango is very sweet and it has a wonderful flavor each and every one who hears they think we understood because of course they have tasted something very sweet and of course they have smelled so many thing of wonderful fragrance while taking while eating so many things have this wonderful flavor so now they try to relate his words with their available funds of experience and then we find there is varied opinion someone says i have understood the taste of mango it's what it's just like uh, the molasses or it's like a molasses it's like a jaggery and its smell is like jasmine has a fragrance of jasmine that's what he speculated someone told no 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 it's as sweet as honey and it has a fragrance of rose and we find varied opinions all are fighting all are saying my a uh, way of understanding is correct yours is false and among all those suddenly one of them tests the mango and now he understands that the words which the person spoke is correct there is no chance of any confusion the problem was no one has tested and they have formulated their own doctrines and dogmas the moment you tend uh, test the mango then what happens as we were singing in the arthrikam song that gatha sangshaya dhrira nischaya all your sangshaya all your doubts vanish dhrira nischaya a conviction comes that no one can now just confuse me about the taste of mango i have tasted it all those discussions are useless if anyone comes and asks you what's the taste of mango you are sure when you say that it is sweet and it has a fragrance what you are speaking you have realized you know what you are speaking your words doesn't transcend your realization 
as in the upanishads very nicely it has been spoken of that who is a realized soul the one who is natibadi natibadi whose words never transcends his realization when we speak of god we have never realized when we speak of brahman when we speak of atman we haven't realized it's a mere word the word which has transcended our realization it is something beyond our realization a paramahamsa is a one whose words never transcends the realization why it happens because they took religion to be real they adopted it in their day to day life they practiced it so that's what the story of ramakrishna paramahamsa's life is a story of religion in practice his life enables us to see god face to face if god is a reality as shankaracharya used to say if brahman is a reality if the ultimate truth god is a reality then we have to realize god just the way we feel a fruit in our palm you are holding a fruit in your palm you can you can just feel its texture you can smell it you can see it it's with all the senses you can relate to it it is something face to face in his word karatala amalakavat this you are holding an amlaki a fruit myrobalan fruit in your hand just that way you realize god face to face it's a matter of realization no more speculation that's what mahatma gandhi how nicely this each and every sentence how wonderfully he has actually phrased to describe ramakrishna his life enables us to see god face to face no one can read the story of his life without being convinced that god alone is real and that all else is an illusion wonderful words go through the gospel that conviction develops that god alone is real all else is an illusion ramakrishna was a living embodiment of godliness that he that god is everywhere god is everywhere then why we say ramakrishna is god because his mind became so clear his psychophysical existence was so pure god was palpably visible through him that's what the incarnation of god is as swami ji used to say the sun's reflection falls on the dirty water it falls on the metal it falls on all sorts of non reflecting surface it at it, it even falls on a mirror where we see the perfect reflection in the clean mirror we see the perfect reflection so similarly god is permeating the entire existence but he is realized through a being whose chitta shuddhi has happened whose mind is pure there is no trace of impurity in him his mind has become like a clean mirror and the god is as if palpably visible through his life so his life is an embodiment of godliness so it is this ramakrishna whose words is in we find in the every pages of this gospel and this gospel is a wonderful book where it's an example of hagiography where the biography where the words of an illumined soul has been reproduced without any variation it is totally untarnished as we find that in the this life of socrates in the writings of socrates there is plato everywhere 
Plato, while writing about Socrates, his own mind was actually, his biases, his way of thinking, molded the Socrates writings. We find that Socrates, nowhere we can find him. The way his thoughts were actually uh, elaborated. It's all Plato. So here we find the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. That's the uh, beauty of its author, Mahendranath Gupta, shortly known as Ma or M. That he has uh, documented the entire gospel in extremely pure form without uh, in any way allowing his own way of thinking to tarnish it. It's pure and simple. So that's the beauty of the gospel. As we uh, just study, we will find that this Mahendranath Gupta, who shortly known as M, he was a school teacher. He was a householder. And it is he who was actually destined for this work. We will find when he used to visit Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna many times have asked him, what is your opinion about me? When we read it, we superficially feel that as if Ramakrishna is asking him that what's your opinion about me as if he wants to hear some very, uh, so all those worldly allusions, all those approbations. Actually, it's not. He's just trying to find out how gradually he's having a clear understanding about him, then only he can present the avatar to the world in untarnished way. It's, there's no question of ego. Sri Ramakrishna is again and ask, again asking the gospel so many times, what's your opinion about me? And we find that he has molded from the very beginning. The aim's life was molded by Ramakrishna from the very beginning. We find that it, he was in interaction with the master, with Ramakrishna for about five years. From, 19, uh, from 1882 to 1886, when Sri Ramakrishna passed away, this about four and a half to five years. So this is the period uh, where we find that uh, Mahindranath is going on the weekends to meet Ramakrishna, mainly on the weekends. And all the thing which has been documented, what documented is actually the conversations of Ramakrishna with the disciples on the weekends. So that's why one thing many will be confused about the idea that Ramakrishna throughout the gospel is speaking of synthesizing the householder's life with spirituality. Then how come a monastic organization was formed in his name? So we should always remember the weekends. That's the day when all the householders are free. They are not working. They could, they could come on the weekends. And Ramakrishna was talking to mainly to the householders. So he has to speak to them about the way of religious life in such a way, because there's no question that they can leave their hearth and home and lead an exclusively spiritual life. It's not possible for them. So Ramakrishna is giving the predominance of that idea that you have to synthesize because that's the only way for them. But one thing very interesting, the young boys, they were so much inspired by the life of Ramakrishna. Many of them started visiting him on a regular basis, not only weekends, even on the weekdays, they were staying with him for some time. 
So we don't know what the conversation of the master with his young boys was going on on the remaining days. That's not documented in the gospel. To a certain extent, those ideas we find in Ramakrishna's biography written by Shami Sharodananda. If you read uh, uh, the great master, the Lila Prashanga. So there we find those ideas to a certain extent has been discussed. Uh, what he was having as conversation with those young boys who were yet to enter the family life. In the words of Ramakrishna, that they were the clay. He used to say very nicely, Ramakrishna's uh, all examples are wonderful. He used to say that once you enter the family life, you become like a clay which has already been uh, what is hardened under the heat of the furnace. Now, even if it breaks, you cannot use that clay anymore for remolding it. But the mind of these young ones who are yet to enter into the family life are like a clay which can be molded in any way. And that's what he was doing. And that's what we find. Narendranath is saying much later as Swami Vivekananda, what? That this Brahmin of Dakshineshwar is extremely powerful. We have seen the various incarnations who could manipulate with the so-called material world, do some miracles and manipulate with so-called the physical world. But Ramakrishna had a tremendous power. He used to take the mind of this young devotees, let's say like a mold of clay and used to give it shape as, as the way he wanted. And we find in the entire history of spirituality, it is a very rare occurrence where you will find that so many young boys getting inspired by a spiritual soul, that those young boys who are supposed to be infatuated by the worldly way of living, somehow it is not only one or two, some 16, 17 of them who came, and actually more than that, a few couldn't enter the monastic life because of the family pressure, but they were extremely strong in their renunciation. So if you will take a, about... Uh, two dozens of young, this is about 2024, 20, young boys are coming who have not have entered the family life. They're all teenagers. That's the age when they're supposed to be lured by the worldly way. It is such a, Ramakrishna is such a wonderful personality where we find by his love, unbounded love, these young ones have been attracted. And not only that, they're influenced by his life in such a way, inspired by his life in such a way, each of them became an exemplary spiritual personality. Each of them to get so many uh, as, as, as if like a galaxy of spiritually illumined soul in the spiritual history, it's a very rare occurrence. It's a wonderful transformative power in the presence of Ramakrishna we find. But yes, the gospel that way is not the full teachings of Ramakrishna. But it in no way that way it is diluted. We will find that keeping the spiritual ideal to the highest is keeping there. He's coming down to take us up to lead to that highest goal. To give a common example, if the child sometimes doesn't have the sense of hygiene, just in a playful mood, a small child may get down into the gutter. What the mother mother will do first. 
she will try to convince her that by cajoling this child we will ask the child to come out if the child doesn't listen the mother herself will go down to the gutter to bring her up and that's what the avatar does when he finds that the people are not uh, able to relate to that high philosophy he is ready to come down so that by holding us he can pick us up he is in no way compromising the ideal he has kept very high he is coming down he is as if speaking in the words his the gospel is very wonderful scripture if you go on reading this you will never get bored and another thing you go on reading throughout your life the same thing again and again if you can make it a practice you will find the same word is being revealed with a new meaning as you start evolving through a through the experiences of life you get mature through the experiences of life you start evolving to certain extent spiritually the same words will have newer meaning so that's a wonderful way the words have been phrased by ramakrishna his words can be related in all the level of our uh, evolution when we are in the sensate place world then also we can relate to his word he will be if we will find the words which are speaking just relates to our worldly experience from there gradually he is taking up so for the five years ram whatever he heard in this weekends that has been actually uh, in details described in the gospel of ramakrishna and he was uh, this uh, mahendranath was actually undergoing the training from his childhood he had the habit of this writing diary this this is the training unknowingly which helped him to this uh, write down the to just write the gospel in such details you will find the date the people present the topics the summary of discussion everything in such a nice way it has been uh, documented in the gospel it's totally authentic even even the date is mentioned the time is mentioned who all the persons who were present that's mentioned and it can sometimes become very contemplative when you're reading you will feel as if you are in dakshineshwar just sitting uh, what's under the feet of ramakrishna he is speaking that's the way he's describing he will describe the environment the entire scenario that ganges is just flowing by the bells of the temples are ringing and all this wonderful all the background he will be describing all the persons who are there he is describing it will make you feel as if you are also sitting amongst them the listening to those words of ramakrishna it can be highly contemplative so after ramakrishna passed away we find then mahendranath gradually had the idea of publishing them he is this all this notes which he took in the diary again through contemplation it's just like the vyasa the bhagavatam we find when narada uh, asked uh, vyasa to relate the life of krishna now vyasa was contemporary to krishna he saw the life of krishna being asked by narada he now went into deep contemplation from the contemplation the entire life again was brought back in from his memory he as a vividly saw in his mind the entire life and that's how the bhagavatam came into existence here also we find 
all the notes which he has taken after the passing away of Ramakrishna in five volumes, gradually, not that in a, uh, just uh, in one go, in five volumes it came. First volume was in 1902, then 1904, then 1908, the fourth was in 1910. So these all we find almost in a gap of one or two years. And the last was in 1932, when he has actually 1932, when he wrote the fifth volume, uh, that he couldn't see the final copy. He did the proofreading and after that he passed away. The book was published after his passing away, but his work was done. He has already fulfilled his life's mission. So that's a wonderful life of Mahindranath. He was a householder, but he was highly revered by Ramakrishna himself. In his uh, life, there's a wonderful incident. We find one day Shubodh. He was one of these uh, boy disciple of Ramakrishna. He's a young boy. He used to come to Ramakrishna like being inspired by him. And now Ramakrishna already has developed the throat cancer. He cannot speak much. So he told, you go to uh, M, Mahindranath, the master, and just try to converse with him. Now Shubodh never liked the idea. Well, he's after all a householder. Why should I go to him? But as Ramakrishna insisted, so he had to go. He went and he found interesting thing that Mahindranath never spoke of anything apart from the words of Ramakrishna. He was highly inspired. And he told that, see, actually, I never wanted to come. My idea was, why should I come to a householder? And then what Aim told is something interesting. He told, yes, I am a householder, but I have kept a pitcher of Ganges water just in my house. Whoever comes, I feed him with that Ganges water. That Ganges water is the words of Ramakrishna. And then Shubhud understood that how this person, by constantly in association of Ramakrishna, has transformed himself. Though he is in, in the world, but the world can no more touch him. He has become, the Ramakrishna has become the be-all and end-all of his existence. He has become Ramakrishna Maya. That was the life of this, our Sri Mahindranath. In the, what you say that uh, we will find this gospel that just as we have mentioned, that the author is completely hidden. This is the wonder of uh, this, this uh, uniqueness of the gospel of Ramakrishna. And for that, for the, from the very beginning, we will find that Ramakrishna made it a point to just totally break his ego. In the first, uh, after the, in the second meeting, he asked him that when, he, when uh, this aim came, the first the question which Ramakrishna is asking, the seeing that uh, his bodily signs, physical from his physical signs, Ramakrishna was an expert in reading the physical signs. He found that he has a tremendous spiritual bent. So he was eager to have him in his inner form. The question he asked is, have you married? And he told, yes. And Ramakrishna, in, as if in a disgust, uh, called his nephew and told Ramlal, he has married. I mean, as if he has done a great <laughs> disaster has happened. And the next question was, do you have children? And now already he has started palpitating. Because already he's told with the marriage, just by saying he's married, what that reaction he saw. He was palpitating. 
And then he had to say the truth that he has children. Ramakrishna had a sense of that uh, as if he was a bit discouraged. Much later we will find uh, Ramakrishna one day was in ecstasy and he was conversing with the mother, with mother Kali. And as if he was bargaining in presence of M, he told you have given him only one, one part of power. Means if there, if there are 16 colors in scripture, they speak of 16 color as the all the spiritual powers taken together is 16 part. Now, as if Ramakrishna was bargaining, you have given him only one part. Mahendranath never realized that actually it meant about, it meant uh, it was something related to him. Much later he understood. He was just saying, you have given him only one part. And the next thing we found that Ramakrishna is still in ecstasy is saying, oh, now I understand that one part is sufficient for your work to happen. So that's the thing we find that Ramakrishna is uh, conversing with mother relating to M. So this M's life we find is full of humility. That the third question which Ramakrishna asked was, is your wife, this, uh, this uh, is Vidya or Avidya? So now Mahendranath had the idea that the one who has academic education is of the, the Vidya aspect. And those who have no academic education is avidya. So he simply told avidya. And Ramakrishna immediately asked him, oh, so you are vidya. So you are the vidya. You are the one who is learned, your wife. And again, his ego was, uh, was as if hammered. And Ramakrishna, and that's how we find from the very beginning, the first thing which he made, that his ego must be very much humbled. Otherwise, he can never relate the words of the avatar, which is going to do good to the mankind without tarnishing his own opinion. It's a wonderful way we find that the foundation has been met. So this, if you read the gospel, you will find that it is, that as we were mentioning, it is highly contemplative. From the March 1882 to April uh, 24, 1886, that's the last uh, conversation which we find. Ramakrishna passed away on 16th August 1886, but the last conversation that is uh, documented in the gospel is on 24th April of 1886. So this is the period, almost five years from March 1882 to April 1886, four years or uh, uh, five years, four and a half years, five years. So that's the time, all the things, the way he has describing with the scenario with the moods, with the nature of the people present, the songs which were sung. We all know that what the songs were sung in presence of Ramakrishna, the wonderful dance of the master, everything is recorded, that he is to go to Samadhi. And the, the dance was a something spontaneous flow, which is to come out of bliss. He was not a, uh, what you say, this dancer in the professional sense. He never learned dancing. It was an outpour of an ecstasy, just the way a small child out of joy will be dancing around. So that's, and it was something he, he never felt that an elderly person is dancing. In bliss, when he used to dance, it was just a flow of bliss. So all these things wonderfully described in the gospel. And that gives it a contemplative nature. Just reading it is contemplation. In our scripture, they speak of Lila Dhyana. 
lila dhyana means contemplating on the sublime life of the divine you know if you start meditating just to meditate on one word one idea is so difficult our mind is so distracted at the beginning it needs a quite big bandwidth to concentrate you cannot concentrate in a very small narrow small idea small idea as if you are trying to compress the mind which which uh, is so much uh, means all encompassing to into a small unit it cannot be done in one day so at the beginning this type of contemplation is very helpful okay i just con- read the life contemplate on it at least it won't go to the worldly thing it helps me to keep my mind restricted in this all the divine play which speaks of sublimity and that's how the mind gets pure in the very first uh, conversation we will find ramakrishna is dealing with that subject he is saying very interesting thing when we take up the when we will study the gospel when we start reading and discussing on the first very first uh, day ramakrishna is saying a very interesting thing what that sandhya merges in gayatri gayatri merges in om what it speaks of very interesting that sandhya that at first when a brahmin is initiated to that spiritual way of living he before doing gayatri he has to do so many rituals and then do the gayatri chanting and that gayatri is always uh, preceded by omkar that's a wonderful thing in india from whatever faith you may be if you are an initiated person you will find that whatever aspect of divinity you may believe in that mantra maybe you are a devotee of rama you have been giving a mantra on rama that before the name of rama the omkara is of must be there if it is krishna omkara will be there if it is kali whatever it may be the, why you know the what's the idea the mantra can be quite long why the omkara is given very interesting when your mind becomes more and more concentrated as if the bandwidth is getting narrowed it becomes very difficult to keep the mind even in that long mantra but it has to hold on to something so that omkara is the last thing on which your mind holds at last everything falls off that's what ramakrishna is saying sandhya merges in gayatri and then the gayatri gayatri is quite big mantra and after when you get quite uh, what you say adapt in gayatri japa you start liking you have just developed a liking for that then you find the sandhya is not necessary it is a distraction you go directly for the gayatri japa and when your mind gets still more intensely concentrated that mantra itself you may feel is a distraction that's why at the time of sanyasa there is that we have to do gayatri visarjan that no more required you are supposed to have evolved from that just take on to the omkara just think of your real nature so it speaks of evolution and that's why that, that that idea we will find in the gospel very nicely has this uh, been des- described that idea that how gradually when our mind concentrates we cannot hold on to a very long syllable with a very small syllable we go into an intense absorption it's like going into samadhi in a uh, very simple way ramakrishna is saying that in a village in a congregation uh the kirtana was going on kirtana means the depicting the life of chaitanya mahaprabhu they were all singing and then there is a line that they started repeating what is that nitai nimai amar mata hati that chaitanya mahaprabhu 
while uh, singing the glories of the divine, got so ecstatic. He was as if a mad elephant, full of bhava. He was dancing like a mad elephant. So when this line came, the person who was singing, he got stuck up with that idea. That Nimai Amar Mata Hati. It's a wonderful idea to get totally inebriated with the divine bliss. What's a wonderful idea? So he got stuck to that line. He was repeating again and again. And then he himself got so much inebriated with that idea, absorbed with that idea, he couldn't say the entire sentence. He just started saying Mata Hati, Mata Hati, mad elephant, nothing else. And at last he just said Ha and went into Samadhi. So how that Ramakrishna with very, very common example is saying that how from the Leela gradually it takes you to the name and name takes you to that list of the Omkara. And that can take you to the ultimate Samadhi. So this is the way we will find Ramakrishna with a simple word is explaining uh, the highest sublime truths of the scripture in the gospel. So that's the thing we sign. We, we also can start with that Leela Dhyana. We find meditation is difficult. Okay, and you not force yourself. Someday I sit for meditation and find that there's no mood. Open the gospel. Start reading. That's the easy thing. And you will find your mind is automatically getting very calm. Because now, though you're, you're, you are just going through sequence of ideas, but they all are linked to that idea of the divine. Not a single word you will find which is related to some worldly thing. He's never asking. The devotees come to him. Sometimes you will find that there are some 12 to 14 hours of conversation went on per day. It's a wonderful thing. Not a single sentence relates to the worldly thing. It's a wonderful conversation that is to happen in the presence of Ramakrishna. He's never asking, how are you? How is your son? How is your grandchild? Not a single time. It starts with God, ends with God. And in between is ecstasy, samadhi, everything is there. Means we can, cannot even imagine that such, such a type of personality is ever possible who always dwells in the divine realm. It's, it's totally unadulterated spiritual life. If, in the gospel, there are records that if in a day, on a weekend, some 12 to 14 hours, constantly he was speaking but there's not a single worldly talk. So that's how just by reading, you will find your mind is automatically raised to that level. That it easily, it makes you very contemplative and it is very easily comprehensible. In such simple words, Ramakrishna has spoken of the highest truth. He had a wonderful capacity of presenting the profound truth in the simplest language. And that was possible because he himself was a realized soul, as we were telling. He was, as in the Arathrikam song we every day sing, Gata Sangshaya as we were mentioning just now. There was no doubt. He has realized the truth. He has seen God face to face. When Narendranath came with the doubt whether God is, he went to so many the contemporary religious leaders with that simple question, I don't want explanation, whether God is or not. He never got satisfactory answer. All were trying to explain that God is. How, if I have seen the ocean, will I explain that what the ocean is like? If someone comes and asks, have you seen ocean? I will say, yes, that's as simple as that. 
I'm not going to give him a description that what ocean is like. I've seen. So there's a conviction. If someone says there is nothing called ocean, I will say you're a mad person. He may give me lecture for half an hour, one hour, or maybe for eight hours, seven hours. I will not speak to him a single word. At last I will say, all these are useless words. I have seen the ocean, nothing else. So he had that conviction that he never found that answer uh, anywhere. With full conviction, the direct answer came, yes, I have seen God. And not only that, he's asserting, I can show it to you. And another thing he's saying, I only difference is, I see him much clearer than I see you. And Narain was just amazed that someone can be so convinced about his realization. And that conviction, which comes out of realization, makes his, makes his words so simple, direct, and it just comes and touches our soul. There's no need for explanation. But at the same time, it's not diluted. That as we were saying, as we evolve spiritually, we will find the same world is revealing newer and newer layers of understanding. That's the beauty of the gospel. If you go on reading, each and every line can be so revealing. Sometimes some simple line can be revealing. Simple line. Previously I have read, I found no meaning. But suddenly, because of the experiences of life, it can just hold a wonderful meaning. Just one incidence I will uh, relate in, uh, in this matter. Purna. One of the Nitya Siddhas, Ramakrishna used to say he's a Nitya Siddha, means nothing can tarnish him. His spiritual awareness is always <coughs> uh, there in his mind. He never forgets it. But as we told, when you come to this world, this world is unpredictable. External circumstances, even for a realized soul, he doesn't have control over the external circumstances. No one can take away his conviction, but the external circumstances, he has no control over it. That the power of the uh, Maya even works as per the external, the physical, psychophysical existence is concerned. So Purna, though he was a very pure soul, because of the family pressure, had to marry. When he was in his late 30s, he was so disgusted with the family life that life was not meant for him. But Ramakrishna was no more there. He passed away long back. Now Purna thought, enough of it. I, after all, uh, he is, uh, you know, that suicide in our scripture has been recommended. When? If you are realized. It's very interesting. Many may find it to be uh, something uh, of that that uh, you may just think that it, it is a thing which has to be argued. But the Ramakrishna is to say in a very simple way, that very simple way he used to say that if a realized soul, suicide, there is no harm in it. But the wonderful example he used to give, he used to say that a Ayurvedic medicine, its name is Makaradhvaja. It rejuvenates you. So this Makaradhvaja, how it that medicine is made, you have to pour various type of herbal liquids in the liquid form, herbals, inside a bottle. Some minerals, some herbals, all in liquid form has to be poured inside a bottle in exact quantities, in measured quantities. And you have to keep it just there for weeks together. And after that, when you will find that after two or three weeks, the liquids have crystallized. 
Now, how to get that medicine? If it has crystallized, it has become solid. There's no other way. You have to break the bottle and then only you can get the medicine. So Ramakrishna is to say, once the Makaradhvaja is formed, what's the need of the bottle? There's no need. So if you are a realized soul, the body may go. It's of no use. Its only purpose was spiritual realization. The body is just like a rocket launcher. Once the rocket has been launched, it has no purpose. So that's the uh, situation of Purna's life. We find Purna at certain at certain point of time thought enough. In this life, whatever had to be uh, attained, I have attained. I got the association of a holy soul of like Ramakrishna. I had the divine exuberance by his blessing. And I find myself that in a situation like a fish out of waters, enough of it. So one day he took a resolution that early in the morning, he will take his uh, this bath, he will just have a shower and wear the fresh clothes and then read a page of the gospel and then he will commit suicide. So that's what he resolved. He used to read the gospel every day and just see the, the beauty, the, it's a uh, real miracle. He had his shower, he wore the fresh cloths and now he opened the gospel just to read a page and then he will, just thinking of the Lord, he will commit suicide. That's what he thought. He opened the page and just see that by chance he has opened the page, it's not any planned one. And in that page it is written, the first line which he reads is Purna Balog Bhakta. <laughs> That's the first line. Purna is a boy devotee. It's a line which relates to his own life, his association with Ramakrishna years back, which Master has recorded. Purna Balak Bhakta. The next line, Paramahamsa Purner Mongol Chinta Kuritechen. Paramahamsa is thinking for the welfare of Purna, of his Balak Bhakta. Just reading this second line, see, it is a simple line that Ramakrishna is thinking of Purna's welfare. What a simple line. The Purna started crying. Tears rolled down. He told, what a fool I am. God is thinking of my welfare and I'm here to commit suicide. He couldn't commit. Just see, this simple line can hold such a tremendous meaning at that time, important of point of time. Most probably he has read it so many times. That's why we say these scriptures are Puranas. Pura api navaiva. It never gets old. Ever aging, never old. The same line can reveal this newer and newer meaning as you go through the experiences of life. The simple words can be life transforming. And that's the wonder of the gospel. The very first day you read, you find I have understood. Again, after a few years you read, you find, yeah, the previous understanding was, of course, I understood. But I never understood in the way now I understood. The perspective has changed. So it has uh, some, what is this? You can relate to it at each and every stage of your spiritual evolution. It never, It is never redundant. You can never say that not, gospel is not needed by me. That's a wonderful. That's why we find even a realized soul when reading the gospel is totally absorbed in it. Finds, finds newer and newer of these layers of understanding. So that's the, the beauty of the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, this, and we find that, the, as we have mentioned, that the aim's first meeting with the master, in the very first meeting, we find that aim was in crisis. 
all the scriptures, the wonderful thing, it starts with crisis. This crisis is actually a turning point in our life. If we are not sufficiently evolved, it can drown us. And if we have little substance in us, this crisis can actually enkindle your soul. The life uh, immediately you will find you are relating to a different dimension of your life. And all the answers which you are not finding, suddenly find has been answered. The life starts just throwing new meaning to you. And that's what happened. Aim was also the master himself was going through uh, this all sorts of family turmoils. He himself was also contemplating of suicide. That's the time when the one who takes him to Ramakrishna, he never came to Ramakrishna again. This destiny is wonderful. The Sidhu, one of his cousin, finding uh, Master Mahasha in a dejected mood, told him that, let us go to Dakshineshwar. There is a wonderful temple garden. We can go around the garden. So actually it is going around the garden and there is a Paramahansa. We can go and meet him. So it's just for a change he took him. The Sidhu himself never came back to Gashkaneshwar in his life. That was the only time he, just to take Master Mahashaya, that, that was his role. The Sidhu took him to Ramakrishna. In that moment of crisis, like Bhagavad Gita's first chapter speaks of Arjun's crisis. Bhagavatam speaks of Vyasa's crisis. Script speaks of King Parikshit's crisis. When the King Parikshit has only seven days, he doesn't know what to do. That's what the background on which Bhagavatam starts. It's a crisis. Even Chandi starts with crisis. The king uh, was betrayed by his wife, was thrown out of his kingdom. He was in forest. And that's where we find, that's the background where the Chandi, uh, so the, the, the narration of the Chandi starts. It's a crisis are the blessings of life which forces us almost to think of the another dimension of our existence, where we find that all the so-called, the deadlock ends of, the, of our present life, where we find there is no way out, suddenly has opened up. A new portal has opened up and you find that the, this, all these crises did have a meaning. If they were not there, I would have never uh, I would have never searched for this portal, which was there, which was not visible to me. It has opened up and a new life, uh, just as if you get initiated to a new life. And that's what happened with the master when he meets for the first meeting. And when we find that in his, uh, the second meeting, we already were speaking of that his eco ego was smashed once for all. And in the, in the process, he started feeling a tremendous attraction for Ramakrishna. In the third meeting when he went, very interesting that how nicely it is related. Master Mahashaya being the, you know, the schoolmaster was of a very serious temperament. In the previous two occasions, he saw the master in a very sublime mood, going to Samadhi, speaking only of the, the spiritual dimensions of our existence. The third meeting, he was a bit surprised. He saw the this, all these young boys were there that day. This, the so-called would-be sannyasis. They were all, teen, not even, yes, yeah, most of them were all teenagers. And naturally, 
Ramakrishna was having bit, uh, was in a lighter mood, was just having fun with them, was fun, having fun and frolic. And Master was surprised. Is this the same man whom I saw last day in that such exalted mood? He's just, uh, just having such uh, this light moments with these young ones. He was a bit surprised. Ramakrishna immediately understood. Just noticing him, continuing with that light mood, what he told the young boys is something interesting. All these young ones, what he told is something very interesting. He told, you know, there was a peacock. That peacock one day came to a person's house at 4 p.m. And that person gave him a little amount of opium. And that peacock again came exactly at 4 p.m. the next day. And all the boys had a tremendous peal of laughter. They understood what the master is indicating. So this man has got the taste of the opium. So he may feel a bit surprised by seeing him in the light mood, but he can now, there's no way that he can get rid of him. He has been now intoxicated. He has to be with him. And that's what his life proves. He understands later that is man of spirituality. He's not, what you say, attached to a particular temperament. He can, he's beyond all. As per the person with whom he is relating is con concerned. He can, just like the gear of the car, change his temperament, relate with all. But after all, the awareness of the divinity, it's always there. He is never out of that. That as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, holding onto the pillar, you can wield on and on and on. Just a small child in a playful mood, sometimes like wielding. But while wielding, they will never leave the hold of the pillar. So Ramakrishna used to say that hold the pillar and go on willing. So Ramakrishna did a lot of willing. His life you will find is a mirth of joy. Going to theater, going to circus, going to the zoo, everything is doing. But everybody is going to samadhi. That's a wonderful thing. The one whom, person who took him to the zoo, he told, I will never take him to the zoo. Such a, it is a, such a disgusting thing to take you anywhere. Why? Because we, we, the other persons had the plan to go around the zoo. But when they took Ramakrishna, the first animal he saw was lion and immediately went into Samadhi and he had to be brought back because he was not in a position to move around. He was totally inebriated in a divine mood. And when he came back, he explained what has happened. That lion is the Vahana, the carrier of Mother Durga. Durga. So this spiritual element souls, it's wonderful. It's just the link, the suggestions that can take the, their mind is just like uh, that's dry matchstick. A little spark is required. Immediately it gets enlightened. That lion, Durga, Samadhi. So many times it happened. Ramakrishna once while coming back from Calcutta to Dakshineshwar saw an English boy leaning to the pillar with the folded hands and one leg crossed over the other. Went into Samadhi, seeing that boy. You may say, what it has to do with Samadhi? When he came back from Samadhi, he told, he, just by seeing that small boy with the standing with one leg crossed over the other, with the hands folded, and with the, you know, that the hip pit is in support of the pillar, it immediately brought the idea of three bhanga. If you see the Krishna with the flute in his hand, his one leg is crossed over the other, his hips are bit bent, and for holding the flute, his both the hands are bent in the elbow. So there are three bends. So this boy was having three bent. So this English boy, three bent, Krishna, Samadhi. 
So it's just like that. Even in the life of Mahaprabhu, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was passing through a village, someone told, you know, that the drum meant for Kirtan, the khol, it's that the, the drum's body is actually made by the dried clay of this village. This village clay is having particular uh, features, characteristics by which a nice coal can be made. Just hearing this word, Mahaprabhu went into Samadhi. That this clay, coal, kirtan, Krishna, Samadhi, gone. So this is like math stick. The Ramakrishna went for the first time to see the BT road, Barakput trunk road. In those days, that was the only uh, the, the broad road of Calcutta. You know, the Barakpur was the barak of the British government. It was not in Calcutta because Calcutta is just by the bank of the river. If any attack happens, the barak will be, the, the, will be exposed. So it has to be bit in the interior, not just on the port. So it's about 100, kilome- uh, 100 uh, uh, kilometers away from Calcutta. Now, in those days, there was no locality. It was all forest. So what will be the shortest uh, route from the Barak 100 kilometers away from Calcutta to Calcutta? Of course, the straight line. The straight line is always the shortest route. So they, as it was through the forest, you need not have, uh, we always bend the roads to save already the, uh, already the existing landscape. There was no question as such to save any ex- existing landscape. So the road they made, the shortest road was a straight road. Even if you go now, you'll find no bends, that long road about 100 kilometers is straight. And as per those days, uh, of, uh, the road's uh, dimensions are concerned, it is quite broad. Seeing that, Ramakrishna went into Samadhi. Someone who was accompanying him has to hold him. But seeing the road, he's going to Samadhi. What has happened? When he came back from Samadhi, what he's saying is interesting. This road is just like a holy person's heart. Broad and straight, no crookedness, and very broad, Catholic, very Catholic, and no crookedness. Just see what can take them to Samadhi. So that's the life of Ramakrishna. He may be making fun, having merriment with the young boys, but mind is always tuned to the divine. So that's the beauty which we find even in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. In all the, his uh, narrations, in his song, in his day-to-day dealing, he is always speaking of this highest truth. When we read the gospel, we will find there's a lot of repetitions. We should know that again and again, that in our scripture it is mentioned that shastreshu na mantranam jamita asti. There is no redundancy. There is, that is no defect. It shouldn't be considered as defect. We will, before entering into the gospel, this is the thing which we want to highlight. That repetition is something which Ramakrishna insisted. Once his nephew told, why you repeat the same thing? He told, I will. What's that to you? So why this repetition? Ramakrishna himself with a very simple example uh, will explain that why this repetition is required. He's to say, our mind is just like a village pond full of scum. The village people, the village, the woman folk, to use the water, they go, they clean the scum, they remove the scum, the transparent water is visible, they clean the vessels or whatever it may be, and when they leave the pond, they just again start proceeding towards their village. The scum in no time comes and again covers the pond. That's our mind. You have to repeatedly go on cleansing it. And this repetition is very much important. Gradually it falls, 
sanskar so it will be repetitive but we should know that it is our nature is uh, while studying the gospel our intention is not uh, to learn some new facts every day it is actually to create a deep groove in the mind by the master's word again and again by listening to the same words and by contemplating on it a groove is as if created and once the groove is created that becomes a sanskara that remains there and for that this repetition is something which is absolutely essential so uh, with this idea we will uh, 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 keeping this idea in our mind we will just proceed in studying the gospel and a few more characters is the salient features of the gospel uh, has been we will stick up before we just start reading the gospel and going for its explanation for its discussion uh, we will take a few salient points of the gospel and every day we will be chanting this the slokam of the bhagavatam before we start with which we started today what that sloka means as we will be chanting every day what that sloka means uh, why we has why master mahasha also himself my aim himself has chosen that mantra uh, before each and every volume of the uh, gospel of sri ramakrishna there's a mantra which we find in the very first page and even we chant it so what what's the context why we have chosen that mantra for studying before studying the gospel why we chant it what's the meaning of it that we will take up in the next class so that whenever we have the class the chanting immediately you can relate to it that what's the uh, context of the chanting what's the meaning of the chanting so that you can relate to it so the basic tenets of the gospel and the meaning and explanation of the vakathamritam we will take up again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars